The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jordan. Once again, my name is Lyric Fesco. I'm the director of discipleship at uh, Christ Presbyterian Church. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. It was the summer between my fifth and sixth grade years. My family lived in California. My grandparents lived in Florida. I came from a family where both my mom and my dad worked. So when summer rolled around, it was always a challenge for my parents trying to work out how my brother, would ocup- my brother and I would occupy our time. We would go to t- camps or take swimming lessons and things like that. But it wasn't unusual for my brother and me to spend several weeks with my grandparents in Florida. They lived right near the beach. They had access to a, a great swimming pool. And my brother and I, we thought it was great. Now, there was a difference between the way my mother ran her household with my father as well as how my grandparents ran their household. It was, it was a stark difference. My mom was always conscious about the foods that we ate. We never got too many sugary foods. We uh, always had a well-balanced diet. In fact, I often recall with my brother how he and I, we would take our lunches to school and we had zero bartering power at the lunch table. I don't know if you're familiar with this exercise, but everyone else was trading the Twinkies and cookies and, and, uh, and, and, and fruit roll-ups and things like that. All I had to offer were carrots and celery sticks. I had nothing of value that I could contribute towards these, these, uh, these lunch hour barterings. But, but when we went to my, my grandparents' home in Florida, during the summers, it was, it was a totally different story. All bets were off. My grandparents didn't know how to say no to their grandchildren. Donuts, no problem. Pizza, let's have it every single meal. Why not, right? Ice cream, as much as you want. There were no limits. We could have as much as we wanted. So this particular summer, the summer between my fifth and sixth grade year, it was my summer of decadence as far as food was concerned. I kid you not, I gained so much weight that summer when I flew back and I saw my parents. I exited the plane, saw my mom and dad. I ran towards them. Granted, my hair had grown out a little bit. My skin was, was darkened from the sun. And I ran up to my mom with my arms wide open. And my mom said, and I quote, Lee Eric? Is that you? She didn't recognize me, okay? I was quite a shock, and for me, 
I was shocked as well too. She, she had to quickly reacquaint me with the concept of portion control because I'd gained so much weight while I was at my grandparents' house and I had to come up off, down off of this sugar high. No kidding. Ever since then, ever since then, for many years, I struggled with weight control. I would gain a bunch of weight. I would lose a bunch of weight. I would gain and lose, gain and lose. And because of this, I've become all too familiar with every fad diet that's come out over the last 30 years. I'm all too familiar with the diets that promise quick weight loss and the appeal of those diets. But here's, here's what I've learned over the course of that time. There are no quick fixes. Yes, it's possible to lose weight rapidly, but rapid weight loss, at least for me, immediately resulted in an equal and an opposite reaction of, of weight gain. So what I've discovered is weight loss, real lasting weight loss, comes by way of change to your lifestyle, reorienting your understanding and interactions with food. Now, why am I talking to you about weight loss when we're supposed to be talking about the Psalms of Ascent, and specifically Psalm 124? Well, I'm telling you about weight loss because we often approach our faith in a similar manner. All too often, we're, we're looking for a quick fix. Uh, I'm facing a problem, so where can I go in the Bible to give me a quick remedy for what I'm going through? I want a magic bullet, Right? The verses that I can read and suddenly I'll feel better about all the obstacles that I'm facing. Psalm 124, this is what uh, Jordan read for us just a moment ago. If we look at this psalm, it'd be very easy for us to look at the psalm as a, as a quick fix, right? We can read it, we can understand it on a surface level, then walk away thinking, okay, I, I feel a little better. But how long will that last? How long will I feel better? Let's look at it. It says, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, their, their flood, the, the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. This, this is a psalm of David. King David wrote this psalm. And he's detailing us for, detailing us, for us all the ways the people of God have been confronted, not, not just by obstacles, but by enemies who are out to destroy them. He, he makes references to beasts that would swallow them alive, which there's probably some metaphor in there, but surely they had to feed, uh, face wild animals too in all, all of their journeys. But aside from that, floods, torrents, raging waters, and snarling teeth, and the chorus all sings together, if it had not been for the Lord, we would have never made it. But we escaped like a bird. From the snare of the fowlers, the, the, the snare is broken and we have escaped. We did it. We did it. We've escaped. Great. We did it. We face trials of many kinds, but the Lord is on our side, and because of that, we can escape. Great. What's for lunch? It's a quick fix. We can read that, and sure, we'll, we'll feel better for a while, right? But some of you are facing a tough diagnosis, either in you or, or a family member. Reading this psalm and singing this chorus doesn't make that diagnosis go away. Others of you, maybe you've lost a job. Singing this chorus doesn't bring your job back. Singing this chorus doesn't bring back your spouse. Singing your, this chorus doesn't suddenly erase your, your hardship. If there's, if there's one thing I could teach you about the Bible today, just, just one thing, if I could teach you one thing, it would be this. There are no magic bullets in the Bible. By reading a verse or a section of Scripture alone, that alone, as powerful as it is, 
won't fix your situation. There are no incantations in the Bible. The Word of God is a word to be taken, consumed, and believed in totality. So taking the one verse or the one passage is good, but it also must be understood in the greater context, in the greater context of what the entirety of the Bible says. How does it fit within the entire Bible? How does it fit within the verses around it and the chapters and the book and the entire Bible? Are you, are you familiar with, uh, with Luke 24? Luke 24 is probably one of the most important passages in the Bible. It unlocks something for us that we would have never stumbled upon on our own. In Luke 24, this is after Jesus' crucifixion and now his resurrection. There were a couple of disciples on the, on the road to Emmaus, and Emmaus was about a seven-mile journey away from Jerusalem. And as they're talking and they're walking, they're discussing all the things that had transpired over the last several days. At first, well, this was Jesus, and I thought he was supposed to be the, the Messiah, but now uh, suddenly women are talking that uh, they've seen him al- uh, alive, and, and now we don't know what to think. And as they're walking and talking, Jesus comes up beside them. They don't recognize that it's him. They don't know that it's Jesus yet. They don't recognize him, and and Jesus asks, what are you guys talking about? And one of the two disciples replies back, are you kidding me? You must be the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know and understand all the things that have been going on around here. And Jesus says, what things? And they tell him, this, as a side note, it always strikes me as funny, these verses, and I've always wondered, does, does Jesus have a sense of humor? And I think it's almost on display right here. Of course he knows course he knows what they're talking about. What things, he says. About Jesus, he was a prophet. He performed all sorts of wonders and taught all sorts of, 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 of things, and now he's been crucified. We had hoped he would be the Messiah, and now the women are saying the tomb is empty. We don't know what to think. And then right there on the road, Jesus engages them in a Bible study, right there on the road. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, he interpreted to them all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So to this point, this is the, old, the entirety of the Old Testament. And he's going through all the scriptures, telling him all that it's all, it's all about me, he says. And then a similar scene takes place later on as he appears to more disciples and engages them in the same kind of Bible study where he opened up the scriptures and pointed to them and showed them the scriptures and, and, and how they all pointed to him. And he said this, this is Luke 24, 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. These are my words, he says that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You see what he's saying here? Everything, everything in the Old Testament, including the Psalms, including the passage that we just read about a moment ago, Psalm 124, everything, everything in the Old Testament points to him. Everything in the Old Testament is a pointer to Jesus Christ. And if you don't understand that, Reading a psalm like this and only reading a psalm like this won't give us the full understanding of what it's saying. We'll walk away saying, okay, the Lord will deliver us. I guess. I guess. You see, it's a passage like this that makes us question what faith really is. What is faith? What do we have faith in? When we say we're a people of faith, what does that mean? Well, like the psalm tells us, we believe that regardless of the circumstance, God will deliver us. But again, that points us back to the circumstances where we say, no, no he didn't. Not, not in my case. I'm devastated. Where, where was God in my time of loss? Why, why didn't he deliver me here? This is, this is why I love the Bible. 
This is why I love the Psalms. It's, it's probably the most honest book in the world. It's a book that celebrates the mightiness of God, but also screams out, where are you, God? Where are you? Let's look at our, our psalm a little bit more closely. David wrote this particular psalm, so, so he could have been referencing any number of things that uh, or hardships that he faced. The Philistines were out to get Israel. Early in his life, he was pursued by the sitting king who was, was out to kill him, right? David's life was no cakewalk, cakewalk, which was reflected in the life of the people that he represented. They followed him in a similar path, not by accident. It's not a coincidence. Remember, David points us to Jesus. Israel points us to Jesus. How? I'll give you one example uh, through the people Israel. It's not hard to see a parallel when we read this. It says again in Psalm 124, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then, then over us would have gone the raging waters. When I read this, it's not hard to draw a parallel here to the people of Israel as they made their exodus from Egypt. The people rose up against them. The Pharaoh, Pharaoh, the arm, the Pharaoh's armies pressed down upon them and pursued them. And when you think about the armies of Pharaoh, right, I want you to understand that this is the most powerful army in the world at the time. Think thousands of soldiers, chariots, and weapons of many kinds. This could have, this could have easily swallowed them up. And if the armies themselves didn't swallow them up, when they reached the shores of the Red Sea, those waters could have swallowed them up too. The floods of the Red Sea could have swept them away. Its torrents and raging waters could have gone over them. The people of God, the people of God, fleeing from an enemy who enslaved them, pursued them and sought to destroy them, now pinned between the armies of Pharaoh and the Red Sea. You know, you know how the story goes from here, right? These are giant obstacles, yeah? Giant obstacles. The Lord brought them here. The Lord brought them here to a place of weakness, to a place of vulnerability. They had no hope. In and of themselves, they had no hope. What would they do? They couldn't do anything. Parenting is hard. I'm sure you all know this. There's a, a delicate balance for the parent that uh, a tightrope that you're always walking as your children grow old. You walk the tightrope between doing things for them and having them do things for themselves, right? I'm usually the first one up in our house, and the other day I, I let the dogs out and I fed them as I usually do, and then as I approached the sink, I noticed once I got to the sink, there was a mostly empty bowl of popcorn there at the sink, and uh, just right beside it was another bowl of half-eaten ice cream, mostly melted. It was there. And every impulse I had within me was like, well, we've got to clean this up. I've got to clean it up. But you know what I said? I'm not going to clean it up. He who made this mess will clean it up. And it will sit here as long as it needs to sit here until the offender then cleans it up. Right? As long as my kids have working arms and legs, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna need to learn how to clean up after themselves. That's what me and my wife have, have committed to doing and saying. Now, here's the point. I could do everything for them. I could do that. I, I could make it so they never have to lift a finger. I could make their life so easy if I wanted to. I could do that. I have that power within me. But I don't. Is it because I don't love them? On the contrary, I love them very much. 
I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't allow them to struggle through a few things in life. That's the role of a parent. This seems to be the history with God's people too. When so, what Psalm 124 teaches us is that the follower of God is not guaranteed the absence of hardship. Quite the contrary. We're guaranteed the presence of it. This is what Psalm 124 is telling us. You will have hardship. You will face hardship. Floods, snarling teeth, torrents, enemies, and so forth. You will face hardship, desperate hardship. And it's in those moments that God himself brings us to. He brings us to these moments. And in those moments, we reach a place where we say, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I've tried to do this on my own, but I can't do it. When my kids tell me they can't do something and they need help, I help them. He brings us to this place so we have no alternative but to lean into him and to rely on his strength, not our own. The people of God were pinned between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. So what would he do? He sent a servant. He sent Moses, who, who thrust his staff into the waters of the Red Sea and opened them up and divided the sea, allowing his, his people safe passage through the waters. And then what? With the same waters, he swallowed up the, the armies of Pharaoh. As the people crossed over on the other side, delivered. They were a new creation now. No longer oppressed by Pharaoh. No longer slaves. But now a new creation on their way to the promised land. This is the format Psalm 124 is written in. Faced with an obstacle so big, only God himself could deliver them, and faithfully he does so. But you can't stop there. Remember, you can't just stop there. Remember, it all points us to Jesus. How does it do that? The Israelites escaping Pharaoh's army, yes, it was an actual event. It actually happened. But it was also analogous. It was a metaphor for something else that would happen one day. You, you too were enslaved. You were enslaved to sin, and then you tried escaping sin. Although you tried, it pursued you. It pursued you to a place and cornered you in. And if not for someone like Moses, a new and better Moses, Jesus Christ, he not only led you away from the sin that pursued you, but baptized you in the waters. He baptized you in the waters of the Holy Spirit. And not only did he wash away the enemy that pursued you, he led you out on the other side as a new creation. No longer enslaved, no longer pursued by an enemy, but free as he leads you to the land he's promised you. You see, an event like the Exodus, it's not just a neat story in the Old Testament. Like all the other stories of deliverance in the Old Testament, the Old Testament projects out to something else. They project out to the work of Jesus Christ, how he would deliver us from the, how he would deliver us from the greatest enemy that we'll ever face. Joshua faced a wall at Jericho and God tore it down. You faced a wall. You were separated from God. Your sin separated you from God. God, through someone like Joshua, tore down that wall that separated you from God. That's what that account was about. That account was about Jesus. Job, a righteous man, was subject to the testing of the devil, but, but Job didn't cave to his temptations. He remained faithful. He suffered for the sake of righteousness. That's a good story, but it almost doesn't make sense in and of itself. Why would God allow something like that to happen? I'll tell you why. Because it's not just a nice story in the Bible. Something like, something like, like that points us to someone else. Someone like Job, his name was Jesus. He was the ultimate righteous man who was subject to the testing of the devil, but he didn't cave to his temptations. He remained faithful and suffered for the sake of righteousness. That's what the account of Job was about. The account of Job was about Jesus. A young shepherd boy named David, he was, he was the runt of the bunch. No one would have picked him to be a mighty warrior, much less a king. 
this unlikely hero faced a giant, a giant that no one else could topple. That meek and lowly shepherd boy defeated the giant that no one else could defeat. That's a good story. But it's not just another good story in the Bible about facing giants that are bigger than you are. It projected out to someone else like David. His name was Jesus. He faced a giant that no one else could face. He was the most unlikely person, much less a king. He was lowly and meek, and that lowly and meek man faced a giant of sin that no one else could defeat. And he did so on your your behalf. That account, David and Goliath, that's what that was about. The account of David and Goliath was about Jesus. And listen, we could do this all day long. We could do this all day long. We can make our way through the whole Old Testament and see how every narrative, every prophecy, every account was really just telling us about Jesus before Jesus got here. And yes, just like he told us in Luke 24, every psalm points us to Jesus too. The Lord delivers you. When people rise against you, when sin tries to swallow you alive, when anger is kindled against you, when the floods try and sweep you away, when the torrent of raging waters go over you, this is about Jesus. And just as we see in the accounts of the Old Testament, yes, there's an immediate context at play. Yes, there's always something going on in the moment. The people of God really needed a deliverer. The people of God really needed a rescuer in the moment, right then and there. But in those instances, each of those instances is telling us the bigger story of Jesus Christ. How he is the ultimate deliverer. How he is the ultimate rescuer. And if he can deliver you from the biggest fear that you will ever have to face, if he can deliver you from sin, then there's nothing then there's nothing that will separate you from him. Nothing. Nothing at all. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, this is what the entirety of the Word of God points us to. Nothing can separate you from him. Not a diagnosis. Not a job loss. Not a pandemic. Not oppression. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from him. There was once a a comedian who marveled at the fact that we have such things as phones on airplanes and you can make a a phone call while you're on an airplane. And uh, in that moment, he once saw a passenger attempt to use it. In that moment, it wasn't working. It wasn't functioning. So so he cursed at the phone and bemoaned the fact that it didn't work, all the while missing the miracle that he's sitting in a chair in the sky, 30,000 feet in the air, 500 miles an hour. It's a miracle, but the phone doesn't work. We have a tendency to do this with our faith. We only only focus on what we see in the moment. We're missing the miracle of everything else that has gone on before. The miracle of the past is that God assembled the entirety of the Old Testament. And in those writings, he reminded us over and over and over again that he is our rescuer. Yes, he can rescue us in the moment, but more importantly, he rescues our souls He rescues our eternal condition. Things may not go our way in the moment, but but look at his track record. Read his track record. He loves to rescue us. He loves to pull you out of the pit. This is what everything in the Old Testament and the Psalms, everything, that's that's what points us to. So, So taking into account his record, taking into account that he's rescued us from the biggest foe we'll ever have to face, this is where we place our faith. We've seen what he's done in the past. We see how he's rescued our souls so that 
whatever we may be going through in the moment, we can with a great degree of verified confidence say, okay, I know he is good. I know he is good. I know he loves me and I know nothing, not anything will ever separate me from that love. Nothing. If we had to pick a New Testament passage that parallels this passage from Psalm 124, it would be found in Romans 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us right now. That's what he's doing for us right now. He's interceding at the right hand of God for you right now. That's what he's doing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You see? Do you see what this is saying? That yes, these, these things still may happen to you. We may encounter tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine. But those circumstances cannot separate us from the love of God. Your present circumstance, listen to this, your present circumstance is not an indicator of God's favor toward you. Your negative circumstance does not somehow correlate to the love that he has for you. The love he has for you correlates to the love he has for his son. The love he has for you is at maximum regardless of your circumstance. This is what Psalm 124 is telling us. There is no circumstance which separates us from the rescuer. Also in Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me distill it down even further for you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Let this thought hold you captive. Let this thought hold you captive as we now go to the table, as, as we look at these elements, as, as, as awkward, as awkward as they may look. A prepackaged container of cellophane and plastic and foil. As awkward as they may look, don't, don't forget what they point us to. Don't forget what these elements point us to. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He gave up his son so that you could be rescued. This is your status. This is your status. You are not helpless. You are not defeated. You are not consumed. His body and his blood gives testimony to this. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you gave us this love letter which, which labors to tell us over and over and over again that you love your people, that you save your people, that you rescue us regardless of what our present circumstances show, your record speaks for itself. That if you wouldn't spare your son, 
What wouldn't the creator of the world, the one who has everything at his disposal, what wouldn't he do to draw us near? Thank you for saving us and keeping us and calling us your own. No enemy or power can stand against us. Thank you, dear Lord. It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen. As we